Hello, and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the finest video games of the last 30 years. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Run yourself a deep, relaxing bath. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Your tear-stained chum. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. And this week, we have our number 89s. Into the 80s, chaps. How does that feel? Oh, yeah, I love the 80s. That's exciting. With my enormous clothes. Yeah. (laughs) And your hair. But before we dive into more horrendous 80s references, it's time for the quiz. Okay. Here we go. The scores currently stand. Chris with five, Minty with four. Can Minty pull it back? I hope so. Can Chris further his lead? I hope so too. We'll find out with question 12. Just, Just so you know, I only ever see these questions literally a second before I read them out. So I'm taking delight in this one. Okay. In Diablo 3, Reaper of Souls, there are six playable classes. Barbarian, Witch Doctor, Demon Hunter, Wizard, Crusader, and... Is it not multiple choice? It's not multiple choice. Good heavens, I've never even played it. Okay, I'm just going to say Bard. I'm going to say Cleric. Ooh, you know what? Neither of you are right. But (laughs) if you combined the two, I think you would get it. And I'm going to allow you one more guess. Bard plus Cleric. Equals? A healing fiddler. No idea. Like a priest? I'm actually going to give that to Minty. Oh. The answer is, is Monk. Hey. Oh. oh, well, in other games, monks are just barehanded fighters, aren't they? So, matins and pugilism. Well done, Minty. You're just about by the good grace of I will take that me. dirty, dirty point. Excellent. You do that. It is five all. The American mouse. <laughs> F- five all goes west. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Before we move on to the rankings, guys, what have we been playing this week? Chris? This week, I have been playing a game on the PlayStation Vita called Stay. And I think it's also on the Switch. I think it's also on mobile. Uh, it's, it's kind of had a, a few releases. But basically, it's a narrative game, like almost like a visual novel with some puzzle elements as well. The basic story is that you are just connected to someone who on the other end of a PC who is in a situation where they find themselves in a room that they can't escape from. And you're basically trying to just talk them through that experience. I'm enjoying it so far. It's kind of, the writing is not amazing, which is obviously slightly problematic because it is a game about the the writing and the narrative, essentially. (laughs) But I I quite like the way it's presented. Just little things like when when the person's typing, you have to kind of like wait for the messages to come up. Sometimes they'll misspell something and then correct it with like a little asterisk afterwards. It kind of, it's, it's a nice interface even if it isn't like a perfect simulacra of what that's supposed to be i guess it, it kind of you know it works quite nicely and i'm looking forward to playing a bit more and finding out what happens next excellent so do i i've actually been playing an indie game myself this oh. last week based on a review on nintendo life i thought i would check out city of brass on the switch it is a picking up on, actually on a thread we discussed last week it's a first-person game. It is a roguelike uh, set in a Arabian Nights environment, whereby you need to find your way to the centre of this uh, randomly generated city, killing possessed things and stealing treasure. I, I've only dipped my toe in its pool, but uh, so far, I really, really like the setup. As I said last week, first-person games on consoles, it doesn't come naturally to me. But Nintendo Life gave it such a great review. Uh, I believe they gave it 9 out of 10. And I love a roguelike, and I, I love an Arabian Night. 
and I love stealing treasure, as discussed in the last episode with Thief. Uh, it mentioned Thief in in the review, and that's kind of actually what piqued my interest. You can't quite play it in a stealthy way as Thief, because as soon as you enter a room, enemies are kind of like, Ugh. so far, it's good. I think once I get my head around dual stick first person controls, I think I'll start to have a, a really a really good time. So far, so good. Minty, what have you been playing this week? I haven't really had that much time to play stuff this week, but uh, the one thing that I have played is we had some friends over and we enjoyed Jackbox Party Pack. Oh, yes. I, I know you've played Amazing. I haven't played that. Mm. Have you not? No, I haven't. I no. really like it. Oh, that's, it's, add it to the list next time we're, we're all okay. together again mm. as well. Okay. Honestly, I've, I've never laughed as hard as, as playing it with people before. Oh. It's, like it's, it, it's, it's a huge, huge very joy. Very game, um, yeah. a, a great multiplayer game. Well, I definitely look forward to my induction into the Jackbox. So moving on to the rankings. Starting this week, we have my game. So my 89th favourite video game of all time is... It's a big one. It's a big one in terms of uh, the series that it's a part of. It's a Nintendo game. Uh, it was my first introduction to uh, quite a renowned series. And I, I can't imagine that many people's first introduction to the series was with this particular instalment. And I'm talking about Mario Kart. And oh. my particular pick for 89th favourite video game of all time is the Game Boy Advance version, Mario Kart Super Circuit. Super Circuit! Yeah. Hey, I, I'm looking forward to hearing what you say about this because this is another <laughs> one that I only know of this game in connection with you. I loved this game. I mean, I absolutely adored it. It was my, like I said, it was my first kind of introduction to a Mario Kart game. Uh, and didn't have an N64 and I didn't have a SNES. So uh, this was the first time I had a, a, a platform to play it on. Obviously, I knew of the series and I knew of the, its popularity. Mm. And, you know, at, at the time, visually, it was one of the best on the on the Game Boy. I mean, yeah. yeah. I think because of the Mode 7 engine that it was built on, which wasn't true 3D, but really gave you the feeling of that. Mm. You know, it was it was what sort of powered the original um, Mario Kart game on, on the SNES. Yeah, it felt absolutely phenomenal it, to have a 3D racing game in the palm of your hand. But I'd never really liked racing games. I had Sega Rally on the Saturn, which I, I did have a really good time playing. But this was something different. This was the first time I really kind of understood why people were so excited about this series. Mm. It was back in the day where you couldn't just like pick up and play another game because you couldn't afford it. You know, there weren't just games for like a couple of quid on an eShop or anything like that. Mm. I was absolutely fully committed to doing everything in this game that I could down to, you know, sort of three starring every single race where you had to clinically power slide every single corner whilst also somehow collecting 50 coins on every track to get a three star on a Grand Prix. Yeah. Obviously, I, I, I made sure I did that on all of them <laughs> because it wasn't the, the wonderful thing was it wasn't just four or five new cups with four tracks on there was also once you did that it unlocked the entire of the original super mario kart tracks mm. and it had like another 25 tracks for you to race on it was ridiculous i mean there's so much content in there it got to, i remember it got to the point where the only way i could actually find enjoyment in the game was by starting a race and waiting for all the players to finish a lap and then i'd start mm. <laughs> that reminds me my, my brother when he had his game boy advance yeah uh, about the same era i guess 
he had uh, Total Soccer, just like a top-down football game. Mm. And he became so good at that game because it was all he played for like a good couple years yeah. that he would start a season as Arsenal and say if he conceded a goal or lost the game, uh, he would just reset the season. Wow. And that, that's that's how he played it. Just he'd do it like in one sitting. I'm going to do every game in a season. If I lose, that's the end of the run. In many ways, I blame Arsene Wenger for setting unrealistic standards with the 2004-2005 Invincible season. <laughs> <laughs> I did something similar yeah. with uh, Pokemon Blue. By the time that my team were where I would want them to be, they were so strong that they would just steamroll everything. So I would go into every single battle against the Elite Four, and I would just play the poker flute for the first 50 turns. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. The reason why I kept playing it in the way that I did and so much and so sort of, you know, obsessively was it wasn't because of an obsessive need to be the best or to complete everything. It was simply because the game was so fun. Mm. It was so fun to play. And that's always something that has been really important to me. And I, and I know that that sounds ridiculous when talking about video games, but I really do feel that actually in modern gaming, certainly the big sort of blockbuster A sort of titles, gameplay isn't the most important thing. It's the storytelling. And, and whilst I do think that there are amazing ways of telling stories with video games, unless the game is fun to play i think you're starting to lose perspective of, of, of why it's important mm. nintendo proves time and time again that the two aren't mutually exclusive yeah yeah i remember saying to my brother i actually think that mario kart super circuit i, I think this might be actually my all-time favorite game and he was just like no it can't be it can't be because you know it's just a, a mario kart like you know, what about a, an rpg like a proper big game why isn't you know surely not yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know. It's just this is the game that I find the most fun. The reason why it's so low on the list is because simply just how good the Mario Kart series has got since then. Yeah. And I remember when I got Mario Kart DS, obviously that was, you know, proper 3D and it was it was fantastic. But at the same time, because of that sort of rose-tinted memory of previous Mario Kart game, I thought, "Hey, you know, I, I'm sure it's, you know, I'm sure the other one sort of, you know, still sort of holds up." I thought, I'll, you know, I'll have another, I'll have a little go at that again. That'd be nice. I plugged it in and I could not play it. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely could. For a start, it was running at about like 12 frames per second next to the DS's probably only 30 or something. But I just, it was entirely unplayable. And the graphics were so pixelated and so... Uh, it was mad because this was a game that I was blown away by graphically and gameplay-wise time and time again. But then simply having this next instalment, it just... It totally <laughs> paled in comparison. And I was exactly the same yeah. when it came out on the Ambassadors program. Yeah. Yep, I got it on and played it on the 3DS and yeah. I was like, nope, this is awful. <laughs> I remember when, when the Ambassador program came out, I remember sending you you a text, Jonathan, to say, how do you power slide? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it is too, yeah, it's too obtuse. But it still holds such an important place in my heart, in my memory. Like with what I was talking about last week with Thief. Thief established a lot of things that it could be built on in the future. And, you know, Mario Kart, every single installment has built on the previous installment. For, for, be for better or for worse, in trying out new ideas and new yeah. things but i still oh, i still love it and mm. um yeah in my memory it's better than it is <laughs> <laughs> giving nothing away i would go so far as to say it's the first good mario kart i would agree i would agree i have tried playing mario kart 64 
many times since and i and i and i don't like it Ooh. yeah that's probably it's contentious <laughs> i I'm, I'm fully aware of the consequences of my actions yeah. i didn't have an n64 so i don't have the personal sort of connections to some of these games but something like goldeneye trying to play something like that because i didn't i didn't play like these games until you know it was a generation on you know they don't it doesn't hold up because and it doesn't control well and and mario kart 64 it feels very sparse it feels very bare yeah i will accept that criticism (laughs) (laughs) mario kart 64 is one of those games that is really highly critically acclaimed it's not in my top 100 whereas other mario karts are that probably aren't as celebrated simply because like i said with super circuit it was fun to play and i never got that sense from mario kart 64 Granted, I didn't play it cooperative, couch, split screen. And that was why it was fun. Yeah. That was yeah. why it was fun. And same with Goldeneye. I never had that experience. So I could only come to it with fresh eyes. It didn't hold up for me. But Super Circuit, for what it was, was brilliant. So moving on, we have Minty's game. Please, can you tell us what is your 89th favourite video game? I really love it when games utilise um, the specific and unique aspects of the hardware that they're on instead of just trying to offer up something, like you said, that was an impressive spectacle with mm. um, with good graphics, but um, not much else. Uh, and in the case of the Nintendo DS, I really liked it when games didn't just plop a map on the bottom sure. screen. So when Square Enix rocks up with this game that has you fighting the same battle twice simultaneously with two different control schemes you're left thinking holy balls this is overwhelming and it's bloody great so the world ends with you <laughs> ah the world ends with me yeah the world ends with jonathan Adan. <laughs> it may well do who knows we'll see yeah well i will so you play as a dead little boy called neku whose sullen teenage misanthropy made me cringe even when I was a sullen teenage misanthrope. (laughs) The premise of the game is you are playing the Reapers game to try and get your life back. And then uh, as you play through the game, you realise that the Reapers themselves are plagued by internal politics and rogue agents who are trying to topple the hierarchy for their own ends. And you also have to pair up with other dead people who are participating in the the Reapers game because the DS has two screens. So naturally, the protagonist would pair up to take advantage of that technology and because uh, the real reapers game is of course the journey that you went on and the friendships that you made along the way (laughs) Uh, each player's entry fee was as as well as their own life the one thing that they valued the most uh, which sort of gave you a nice little insight into their character another facet of character development which was welcome Uh, so one character had her appearance taken so she was sort of inhabiting the body of her best friend and you you didn't find that out until quite late on spoiler alert doesn't matter too late Uh, another character's thing that was taken from him was his sister's memories of him so that when they met in the game, um, she was she pretty much had no idea who he was, and that Aww. was that was a bit that was a bit sad. Yeah, a bit, a bit sad. Yeah. Mm. I really like the premise of the game, and I really like the combat system as well. You would use uh, badges to fight with, and you could have up to six badges, and each one would give you a different power. Uh, one would give you telekinesis. One would give you uh, the ability to summon a great big icicle, mm. in which you could uh, give people a poke with. There were loads to collect and power up and evolve, and part of the joy was finding new combinations and taking real control of a playstyle that worked for you. 
as opposed to just finding the one that was like you know the game winner sure the op one and at the same time you also be controlling your your partner on the top screen um using either the d-pad or those four buttons on the other side and as you sort of hit the enemies with your with your partner character you'd build up like a combo meter and then you could unleash like a big powerful sync attack it was a bit hard to manage at times because obviously one screen and another screen and your eyes aren't positioned to deal with both at the same time, really. Or at least mine weren't. And you also had equipment in the form of teenage fashion. Ooh, and yeah. hip Shibuya eateries. Wow. So fashion <laughs> trends in particular parts of town would determine how much of a boost those items okay. of clothing would give you. And you could eat things like uh, like ice cream, which would give you a permanent 2 HP boost. Like a light super circuit, very generous in the amount of post-game content as well, because you would complete the game and then you'd be able to go back and complete secret missions, which would give you like a, a diary of one of the high-ranking Reapers, which were full of rich lore, ex Aww. exploring the Reapers game. And uh, there was even a separate secret chapter, once you got all of those, set in an alternate universe where instead of like battling and killing monsters um you, you you basically did like spinning tops with your badges and i'm thinking about it that was actually really fun as well for a throwaway mini game mm. the only thing uh, stopping me from getting final remix on the switch is the overwhelming fear that neku's general character might make me cringe so hard that i break my neck <laughs> i can attest because I, I bought it on the switch recently yeah and having not played it on the ds yeah, the, the characterization of, of Neku is horrible to sit through now as, <laughs> as like a, a, a 32 or almost 32-year-old man. And also, like what you were saying about the control scheme, the Switch destroys <laughs> any of that uniqueness the, the original mm. game had, like really, really badly. And I've been wanting to play this for years and got really excited when I saw it was getting this port. Likewise. And picked it up. And at least at the moment, like a few hours in, I, I can't recommend it. Oh, um, because oh, all the shame. all the good things you explain about kind of how it works with the hardware yeah the options you have for playing on the switch is either if you play it handheld you use the touchscreen, but your partner character is still kind of ai controlled or if you if you play it docked you have to use a joy con to physically use like a pointer to to drag your character around the screen that sounds very it's it's not good it's not good square enix there we go the world ends with the world ends with you final remix hmm. apparently yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just as a general thing, I really hate it when characters adopt that kind of don't care attitude and completely shut down any conversation or narrative because I'm interested in these characters and um, yeah. the people that we meet. Even if you aren't, I want to hear about them. Don't be so, so selfish. Don't be so selfish. You, <laughs> you, you don't even exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah. Oh, boy. Absolutely. Oh, I've made myself cross now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there we go the original the world ends with you my number 89 game fantastic thank you very much finally we have chris's entry chris dow please can you tell us what is your 89th favorite video game of all time we're going to 1996 Ooh, and okay. we are playing a fighting game <gasps> that is you could say there's elements of it that's like smash brothers before that was a thing not because of it being kind of like an arena brawler but because it's a varied crossover fighting game 
done before almost anyone else was was kind of jumping in on this trend. The game is Fighters Megamix oh. for Sega Saturn. Oh my goodness, I never played this. This was the mix of Virtua Fighter 2 and Fighting Vipers, is that right? It was, yeah, mm. as well as other things, which I, I will come on to in a minute. Oh, fantastic. But it was... It came out within a couple months of X-Men versus Street Fighter, the first Capcom game that kind of like merged franchises. That was a game that I always wanted to have. <laughs> it's, it's really good. But for Fighters Megamix, Sega went much further because they, they mixed, like you said, the, the two sort of fighting franchises they were supporting at the time in the arcade with Fighting Vipers and Virtua Fighter. But they also chucked in characters from Virtua Fighter Kids. Oh, they yeah. chucked in characters from Virtua Cop. <laughs> they chucked in characters from the awful arcade exclusive Sonic the Fighters. Oh, jeez, yeah. They, they chucked in obscure Japanese-only characters from a game called Rent-A-Hero. Gosh, I had no idea. And as a real surprise, one of the last unlockables is um, the car from Daytona USA. Oh, you know what? I do remember. I remember seeing that discussed in uh, Sega Saturn magazine. That's, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. It's amazing. And I mean, what I, what I really love is because at the time, like I said, there wasn't a precedent in the 90s for that sort of far-reaching crossover. Yeah. Like we think about it in terms of now, we've got like, you know, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as an example is so now like ubiquitous that you've got all these television series, all these films, all this stuff that's like cross-media, yeah. all these characters that are in some way connected. You're expected to have this big web of, of kind of, you know, knowledge of what's going on. Yeah. And and even in games, like we say, like Smash Bros now represents about 50 different franchises. Sure. You've, you've got kind of like uh, indie games like Brawl Out that did something similar that included like Ukulele and, and some other ones or, you know, a lot of games that are just appearing in each other's games. Yeah. And, and that wasn't a thing really back then. Like the only thing I can really remember is certain games would have kind of like a nod to other characters or other series. So thinking back to Pugsy that I talked about, you know, weeks ago now, there was an Easter egg in Pugsy where a whole stage was themed around a different Mega Drive game called Wiz and Liz. Okay. And vice versa in Wiz and Liz, there was like a Pugsy Easter egg. And it's because it was the same publisher and I think the development teams were mates or something. Mm. But this kind of like shared universe stuff that, that Fighters Megamix was kind of doing was pretty much unheard of. And it meant that, you know, you, you could have matchups eventually once you unlocked all your characters. Janet from Virtua Cop uh, with like gun in hand being then the only character in the game that can actually shoot at a range or attack from a distance. You could have her fighting against the the hornet car from daytona usa Wonderful. like i said which is just the car arched up on its back wheels all of its kind of like grunts and things when it's fighting is just engine noises instead of you know you know usual people or you could have a matchup that was like say akira the the sort of poster boy for virtual fighter fighting against uh, a huge palm tree like a, a literal <laughs> anthropomorphic version of the development team's logo like oh, amt yeah. the logo was a palm tree gosh it's such a stupid game. <laughs> but because of that, I enjoy it far more than Virtua Fighter 2, which is a much more balanced game. Yeah. And far more than Fighting Vipers, which was kind of yeah, a decent fighting game, but it didn't really have enough character of its own. It's just, it's, it's a big old laugh. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's not as clinical as Street Fighter. It wasn't obviously gory like Mortal Kombat. So its own hook was just, I don't know, that it was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it was announced like about a month before release so it had like no lead up at all and when the game did come out it was meant to just be like a celebration of these franchises for kind of super sega saturn fans <laughs> like it never had an arcade port it was just it really felt like they were just saying here you go just just have fun with it 
So that wraps it up for another week. Uh, fantastic selection of games once again. We had Mario Kart Super Circuit. We had The World Ends With You. And we had the imitable Fighters Mega Mix. If you've enjoyed this episode or indeed any of the other episodes, please do leave us a review. Five stars, preferable. And share it with your friends. Tell people that you're enjoying it reach out to us get in touch you can find us on facebook now we have our own facebook page our three cents and you can reach out to us individually you can find me on twitter at jonathan dunn you can find me at chaz underscore hodges i'm at minty booth huge thanks as always to the double down podcast network for hosting us and please do join us again next week for our two fat ladies (laughs) bingo is that what 88 is in bingo i think so oh bingo 88 Bingo.